Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship teams who've done a great job leading us all day. Hey, um, Psalm 100, if you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 100. If you don't, uh, it'll be up here on the screen. Psalm, the book of Psalms, Old Testament, it's real, almost about the middle of your Bible, uh, Psalm 100. I started a sermon series uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just in November, talking about Thanksgiving, being thankful. We looked at how to be a person of Thanksgiving. We looked at who to thank last week. I preached on thank you, and I hope that you went out and wrote some cards, sent some texts, made some phone calls, bought a few gifts, and we're thankful. Don't, don't be victim of good intentions. Good intentions are, I'm going to get to it one day, but good intentions kill gratefulness. You've got to just absolutely go do it. So today I want to really uh, preach on to conclude this uh, service. And by the way, next Sunday is going to be a pretty incredible service. I know a lot of you are going to travel uh, during the week, but you want to make sure you get back uh, for next Sunday. Have a great time in worship. But um, today I want to conclude it with uh, preaching this subject, thank him. How to give a heartfelt thanks to God. I mean, this is going to be a Thanksgiving unlike any in recent memory, right? Pandemic Thanksgiving. And here's what we know, that, that there are a lot of things going to be the same, a lot of things are going to be different. Like one of the different things this year is TripAdvisor's estimating only about 46 to 53% of people will, will travel this weekend. That's down from 70% of Americans last Thanksgiving traveled on Thanksgiving and we're going to be down to 46 or 53 percent they're estimating this Thanksgiving maybe even less if the virus keeps growing in certain parts of uh, America and so that's going to be a little different this year but some things are going to be the same right like some things are always the same on Thanksgiving like we plan on eating turkey on Thanksgiving if I ask you how much money did Americans spend on turkey at Thanksgiving um, you wouldn't know, and then if you did, it wouldn't make any point for me to tell you, right? So I, I'm going to tell you, you know how much money we'll spend on thanks, turkeys at Thanksgiving in America? It's just a little over a billion dollars. Man, I'd wish I bought that turkey stock when I had a chance, right? Like a billion dollars on Thanksgiving. So that's the same. Like maybe even more turkeys this year because we're not combining as much as some things are still the same. For example, here's some things you might want to know about Thanksgiving is that... Uh, uh, the cost of Thanksgiving, a lot of the ladies who do most of the grocery shopping will know this, that it's gone up by 36% in the past five years. The cost for average Thanksgiving meal has gone up 36% in the past five years that we'll buy and consume just for Thanksgiving dinner, 46 million turkeys in America. And this one is interesting, that in the UK, one in six people will celebrate the American holiday with the traditional Thanksgiving meal. And, and here's what I like to say about that. Get your own holiday, right? Like, this is ours. This is ours. We're on the side of the pond, leave ours alone. Like, tell my friends. And, no, no, I, people watch over there every week, so we're thankful for you to participate with us. And, uh, and, and, and did you know the average price of, a, the price of an average turkey has gone up 46% since 2005? Like, <laughs> those things, things are getting more expensive. But here's the most, here's one of the most interesting fact I found about 
Thanksgiving this year, and it, things kind of being the same. Uh, so some, several of you commented, several of you did just then. I was walking around about uh, the uh, weight I'd lost, and I just, May 4th, the day we started, and I said, I want to start on May 4th. Uh, I mean, start on May 4th. And I said to my wife that day, I said, so I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all in. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to have cheat days, do it so I'm not doing something. I'm just going to go all in. I'm changing the way I eat. I'm not on a diet. Change the way I eat. And so, but I said this, on, honey, on Thanksgiving Day, I'm going to change back to the way I used to eat, right? Like, uh, she makes a big pot of macaroni and cheese that, that I just can't hardly do without. And turkey and dressing, man, I don't know why we only eat turkey and dressing one day a year. I don't know why we don't do it in July, because that's like one of my favorite things. <clears throat> and, and can't have dressing, but I'm probably going to this coming week. As a matter of fact, I said, I'll put on five pounds, I'll worry about taking it off after that. In the past, I've just put on the five pounds and not worried about it at all. That's what got me in that shape. But I said, I'll, put, I'll take it off. Um, did you know the average American on Thanksgiving Day will consume 4,500 calories? In case you're wondering, that's a lot. That's two days worth of food in literally in one meal. One meal. But I'm going to do it. I said I'm going to do it on that day. I just, I plan on it. Probably going to do it. But when I got, you dig in a little bit and you figure out Thanksgiving's had its toll on us. Because here's what we know. In 1960, the average human being weighed 166 pounds. You know what the average human being weighs now? 195 pounds. So Thanksgiving had its effect on us. And for some of us, I'd love to see 195 pounds. I've only ever seen it on the way up. I've never seen it on the way down. So I'd love to see it again. But we're not the only one with trouble. Did you know that? There are other people who have trouble. The average turkey in 1960, pre-harvest turkey, uh, the average turkey weighed 16 pounds. And today it weighs 30 pounds. So I'm not the only one that's going to die, right? Like there's more than me that needs to lose some weight. And there's the graph that shows it. Here, I'll tell you all that to tell you this. It seems like Thanksgiving is getting bigger and better in all kinds of ways, except in the area of thankfulness. Like for the very reason we have Thanksgiving is the reason we're most deficient on it. And it's not just, you know, Thanksgiving wasn't created to be thankful to other people, though it's fine, it's awesome to do that. Thanksgiving was created to be thankful for the God who has provided all to us that we enjoy. And so all I want to do today is take a minute, take a moment, and let us dive into Psalm 100 and see how can we increase our Thanksgiving quotient? How can we increase our Thanksgiving level? How can we this holiday season, look, I know a lot's been going on. I know 2020 is, is, is stupid and getting stupider by the day. Like, I know it is. But we still have a lot to be thankful. So if you're in a building, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? And let's look at Psalm 100. And it's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Psalm 100, verse 1. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Psalm 100 was believed to have been the song that was sung as the Israelites went into the, uh, the, uh, the temple. The book of Psalms is basically 150 songs that they sung that are recorded for us. So Psalm 100, we're not sure who wrote it, we're not exactly sure when it was written, but it's the only song in your Bible, if you look at all 150 Psalms, it should be the only Psalm in your Bible that carries the official title. The title is what comes before verse 1. Psalm 100 is the only one that carries the title, a psalm of thanksgiving. It's the only psalm that tells us how to be thankful to God, that tells us how to express our thanksgiving. So of all the songs of praise and adoration that are written, Psalm 100 stands out and carries the title, a psalm of thanksgiving. So how do we say thanks to the one who's given us everything? Let me give you five things today that the book of uh, the chapter tells us. Number one is this. How do you tell God thank you? Number one, be glad you are saved. Look at verse one. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Now this is the verse that if you carry a, a King James Bible or maybe a new King, King James translation, this is the verse that's translated this way. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. How many of you remember that verse? You, you remember that verse? Right? It's, it's the exact same verse that's in Psalm 98.4. It's the same exact verse. And it's repeated here in Psalm 100, verse number 1. But this is the song, this is the verse for those of us who cannot sing, it's our excuse for doing it anyway. Can I get an amen right there? Like in the King James, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? Not an in-tune noise, because for some of us, it's not possible to do, right? And it's my excuse for standing over there in the corner next to my wife and screaming out a song at the top of my lungs like, I don't care. I know how bad it sounds deal with it. I got a Bible verse. Because I'm making a joyful noise. And by the way, noise is the exact appropriate noun for what I'm doing when I'm over here, right? Noise. But it's a happy one. But joyful noise is maybe not the exact correct translation. It's fine, but it, the word in the Hebrew carries a little more than that because it's the same Hebrew word that the Israelites used before they would rush into battle against an enemy. The Bible said they would make a, a, an excited shout, a joyful shout, an energetic shout. And so they'd rush into the battle and it's the same Hebrew word, shout triumphantly. It was, a, it was a shout as they ran into the battle. It was also the word that's used when Israel celebrated God's goodness in their life. So God would do something in their life. He would intervene and show his favor and Israel would shout triumphantly to the Lord. It's also the word in the Hebrew that's used for the noise that arose when the Israelites had victory over an enemy. It is said that they would shout triumphantly uh, after they had a victory over the enemy. So when you see the exact uh, de definition of the word, it, it, this makes a little more sense. Let the whole earth, it says, shout triumphantly. That is, that we have been given victory over our enemy, and our response should be an enthusiastic shout unto the Lord. Now you say, well, wait a minute. What enemy have I been given victory over? And I'm, I'm glad you asked because I have it right here. In Revelation chapter 1, when John was on, on the Isle of Patmos and, and Jesus came to visit him there and he was writing the book of the Revelation, here's the interaction they had. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, 
I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I was dead, but I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Listen, you do have an enemy. You are born into this world with an enemy, and your enemy is death and the devil that instigates death in the world and in your life. Death is your enemy. And here's what Jesus was telling John. I have defeated them both. That I have victory over death. I have victory over the devil. I have victory over the grave. Death and Hades. It meant death and the devil. Death and the grave. Death and hell. Jesus said, I am the victor over both. And here, here's what Jesus said. I got the keys. So that the devil does not even own the keys to his own house he lives in. Jesus said, I went down there, I triumphed over death and hell and the grave, and I just snatched the devil's keys away from him on my way out. And so what is our response to that? We said shout triumphantly, but the point he's trying to make is the way we say thankfulness to God is we're glad that we're saved. We shout triumphantly is, can that mean a literal sound? Of course it can. But it means to enjoy your salvation. Be glad you're saved. You say, well, preacher, of course I am. Do I have to preach that? Well, you do because some people act like they're mad they're saved or sad they're saved. You'd never know they were excited about being saved. And you want to tell Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, shedding his blood for your sin so you can be saved? Then be glad about it. Too often, I'm afraid. Especially when we have a little age on our salvation, we act like we opened the gift of salvation and we were disappointed about what we got. Have you seen these videos go around the internet? They're, they're, they've been out for years, but it shows parents who wrap up bad Christmas presents and give to their kids. Have you seen, seen this and see what their little toddlers act like? And one of the most famous experiments in this er area was um, parents who would wrap up a banana and give it to their kids and try to watch their reaction. And, and I could tell you about it, but I just thought I'd show you one. Open, open it, open it. Wow. Snickers. Wow, baby. What's that? I need my beer with awesome there's about another minute on the video if you want to google it where she's showing it off and dancing and the whole thing and I, I loved it she opened the banana and here's what she did what we do sometimes she opened the banana and, and it dropped out and she looked at the banana and then she took the wrapping like well there's got to be something else in there like right and there was nothing and they started shouting and she rejoiced and, and I, I, I saw that video and I thought sometimes it's how we act about the gift of salvation that's been given oh we've we've accepted it we're glad we have it but sometimes we, we act like we opened a banana, and well, actually we don't act as good as if we opened a banana. We, we don't rejoice in our salvation. We complain about our lot in life instead of just being glad we're saved. 
We take God and his goodness for granted. We don't cherish our walk with God. We don't value the church that he left for us. And here's what the psalmist was saying. You want to be, uh, show thankfulness to God. Then Christian, be glad you're saved. There's no better way to say thank you to God than rejoice in the joy of your salvation. That, that your, your, your gladness ought to be on your face. It ought to be on your lips. It ought to be in your disposition. It ought to be in your shout. Glad people tell others. Glad people brag on the God who saved them. Glad, glad people return thanks. How do I tell God thank you? Number one, be glad you're saved. Number two, be excited you can serve. Look what he said in verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Now the word serve there is a, another great Hebrew word because the, just the translation of the word serve, as a matter of fact, a lot of translations translate that word differently because it has such depth of meaning. But it basically meant to serve, honor, respect, or even worship. It was the word that was used of a loyal servant who was honored to be in service of the king. A loyal servant who was honored to be in service of the king. That's what the Bible says we are supposed to do. That we are not supposed to view serving God as a drudgery. That we are not to view serving, walking with God as a drudgery. We should not view the Christian life as a drudgery. Not only that, we should not view worship Worship as a drudgery. Viewing it that way is the same thing as telling God that you are thankful. No, here's what the psalmist said. You want to return thanks to God? Then this, serve the Lord with gladness. And that word gladness is a fantastic word. It was a word that was used to describe the joy you had on your wedding day. Now, on the actual day, some of you looking back may not have the same joy. But back on that day, you remember how excited you were then? It's the word that's used. Serve the Lord. With that joy that you had on wedding day, come before him with joyful songs, a song in your heart and a song on your lip. See, serving God shouldn't be a drudgery, but the Christian life shouldn't be a drudgery, but exciting and joyful. The Christian life should not be boring, but exciting and joyful. Look, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful, not just any songs, joyful songs. Too many times we've relegated the Christian life to a drudgery or just a boring thing we have to do to check stuff off the list. I got to go to church Sunday. Maybe I need to read my Bible. Maybe I need to try not to do this as much. Hey, leave boring things somewhere else. That was never meant for the Christian life. I mean, there's, did you know there's a whole conference dedicated to boring stuff? Since 2010, literally, there has been a conference called the Boring Conference. They have met every year. Not only that, it has been sold out every year since 2010. And a guy named James Ward started it back then, and it's been sold out every year, except this year. They had COVID, and I think they did something digitally this year. But they've sold out every year the Boring Conference. And people come, and you say, what, what's, what's that, a sold-out Boring Conference? I'm going to tell you, boring stuff. People get on stage and give hour-long speeches about boring minutia. For example, I, I've got some of the recent most hot topics spoken on at the Boring Conference. Literally, sneezing. It's a great, great topic. Here's one of my personal favorites. An hour-long talk on toast. I'm amazed somebody can speak for a long time about toast, but I mean, it's fascinating. How about this? Uh, the sounds made by vending machines. 
one of the topics, hot topic. How about this one, the shipping forecast, another really riveting topic. Or this was a good one, barcodes. Barcodes. Or one of my personal favorite here, yellow lines. Or inkjet printers of 1999. Or finally, ice cream van chimes. That's what's at the boring conference. You notice God nor Christianity nor church was on the list. You know why? That's not where it belongs. There ought to be excitement in your walk with the Lord. There ought to be joy in your service of the Lord. There ought to be uh, excitement in your worship of the Lord. Look, when we come into worship, listen, when I, when I preach and, and when they sing, this is not meant to be a you watch us. This is meant to all of us together worship the Lord. That's why they're okay if you clap. That's why they're, they love it if you sing. That's why they love it if you raise a hand or, or shout during a song. Like, we're not mad at that. Hey, I'll take an amen every now and then myself. Well, that was the worst response to begging for an amen I have ever heard in my life. Listen, if serving God is boring, you're not doing it right. If the worship of the Lord is boring, you're not doing it right. You say, preacher, it's okay to clap in church? Well, we clap in heaven, so I'm going to say yes. Is it okay to shout and sing loudly in church? I'm going to say yes. Is it okay to praise and worship? Just read the book of Revelation, right? It'll take care of that. Read the book of Revelation. Is it okay to have loud music? Read Psalm 150. Psalm 150, they, they, they had, like, it was exciting to worship the Lord. And we show gratitude to God by being glad we're saved and being excited to serve. You know what too many of us act like? We act as if salvation is last year's Christmas presents for the kids. You know the things you have to box up and put away because they don't play with them anymore? And we treat salvation the same way. Here's what the psalmist said. You want to tell God, thank you, do this. Be glad you're saved. Be excited you can serve. Number three, I'm just going to hit this one quickly. You want to tell God you're glad you're saved? Know where your bread's buttered. Now, I, that phrase is used a couple of different ways. Know what side your bread's buttered on. Know where your bread's buttered. You get it. It's all the same thing. Here's what it means. He said, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Here's four things he's telling us right here that just for you to always know. This is like the interlude in the, in the psalm. This is like you, when Josh or Denny stop and say, sing with me. This is like him saying, hey, let's kick it another gear because of these Four things. He says, number one, know that he is God. You want to be thankful? Listen, the only thing you really have to do in your life is acknowledge that God is God. If you do that, he deserves all glory, honor, and praise. Number two, you know he is the creator. That means everything that you see and that you have is made by him. Number three, we are his, his people, his sheep, the Bible says. Which means he is the rightful master and owner of all of us. And then number four, we are playing in his pasture. That is, he, the earth and the fullness thereof all belong to him. So here's what the psalmist, the songwriter was trying to tell us. That every blessing, every gift, all the favor, all the wealth, all come from him. In all thanks because of that goes to him he is our creator our savior our blessing our lord how much time do you spend acknowledging that because 
I'm afraid we talk about too much about what we own and what we have when in reality we own nothing and have nothing apart from him. Number four, how do I tell him thank you? Number four, keep an attitude of gratitude. Look at the four words he uses here. Thanksgiving, praise, thanks, bless. Thanksgiving, praise, thanks, bless. In other words, we ought to have a continual attitude of gratitude in our hearts. How do you give thanks to a God, the God? You let it be on our hearts and our lips continually. So I want, to, I want us all to do something. No matter if you're at Rossville, if you're online or you're here in the room, look, look at me for one moment. And would you take 10 seconds, just concentrate. And for 10 seconds, would you stop counting your problems for just a minute? You know that's how we operate, right? By default, as who we are as human beings, we, we, we get up in the morning and we're counting our problems. And all during the day, we're counting our problems. And we go to bed at night and we can't sleep. Why? Because we're counting our problems. And because of that, it's, listen, it is the natural way we all are wired. Our body, the sinful body, is wired that way so that criticisms have a greater impact in our lives than a compliment does. And bad news is more uh, riveting than good news is riveting. And we, we, we can't hardly dwell on successes because we're fixated on mistakes. And greater uh, event, uh, negative, uh, negative events have a greater impact on our life than positive events. And there's a word for this in psychology. It's called a negativity bias. And we all have this negativity bias. And here's what that means. that it, it, the, the negative has a tendency in our life to register uh, harder and longer than the positive in our lives. We feel the sting of rebuke more than we feel the joy of praise. Psychologists, when they study it, it, say that's why it's hard to overcome a negative first impression because it imprints on us. It's why, it's why negative things that happen to us have such a long-lasting effect. It's a major imprint in our lives, and they last forever. And almost every interaction, we're going to notice the negative things and, and remember them more vividly. So this is something you need to know. If today a negative event happens to you and an equal-weighted positive event happens to you, years from now, You'll feel the sting of the negative event more and be able to describe it in greater detail than you, chances are you won't even remember the positive event happened on the same day because the negative, it's called a negativity bias. And here's some of the things it does to us. For example, we remember traumatic experiences more than positive ones. It's not that we don't have positive ones. We just so dwell and fixate on the negative ones, it's all that's in our minds. And so that's what we remember. We recall insults better than praise. Right, that's true, right? Your spouse can do that to you, right? Your spouse can say a negative word and, 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 and 10 positive words, and it's the negative one that's keeping us up and hurting the relationship. Number three, we react more strongly to negative stimuli. And next, we think about negative things more frequently than positive ones. They, they dominate our mind. So that's why counting blessings is so difficult and so we count burdens instead of blessings. So we get up in the morning and we're counting our burdens and we go through the day and we're counting our burdens and we go to bed at night and we can't sleep because we're counting our burdens. And here, here's what the psalmist was trying to tell you. Stop counting your burdens. And enter his gates with thanksgiving 
His courts repays. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Thanksgiving, praise, thanks, bless. Here's what the psalmist is trying to develop an attitude of gratitude that no longer fixates on the burdens of your life, but counts your blessings. I mean, let's, let's make it personal. What, what do you spend most of your time doing in your life? If you're a human, it's probably count your burdens. And I'll, I'll tell you what will happen this week is you'll be around people you're not around a whole lot, maybe at Thanksgiving, and they'll, they'll come up to you and they say, how's it going? And you're going to say, man, I'll tell you what, 2020, let me just, and you start running down a list of burdens. And burden counters make terrible witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chances are this week you may be around some people who are far from God, out of church, need Jesus as their Savior. And instead of counting your burdens to them when they say, well, how's it been going? Why don't you say, man, 2020 has been challenging, but let me tell you all the ways God has blessed me in my life. What was the old song? Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. You tell God thank you by not fixating on your burdens, but counting your blessings. Number five, I'm finished. How do you tell God thank you? Number five is you tell others about the offer. Look, look, look at what he said. He, he said, for the Lord is good, his faithful love endures forever, his faithfulness through all generations. The emphasis in the verse is on the future generations. That is, pass along God's goodness to others. Tell others about the offer tell others about the grace of god tell others about the mercy of god tell others about the goodness of god tell others about god's faithful love god's enduring love tell others about his dependability tell others about his salvation you pass along god's goodness tell others about the offering keep it going generation after generation after generation close your bibles i'm finished close your bibles it was 1827. A magazine editor, author by the name of Sarah Joseph Hale in 1827 started on a 36-year campaign. She wanted to make a national day of thanksgiving. And it had not yet been done. And so over 36 years, she wrote articles and editorials. She wrote politicians and senators and congressmen and president after president for 36 years years it wasn't until 1863 and by the way she she earned the nickname the mother of thanksgiving and you're you know you know her you don't know her know her but you know her you know something she did more famous than thanksgiving probably she wrote nursery rhymes and this is the lady who wrote mary had a little lamb but her passion was getting thanksgiving perpetually on the calendar so in 1863 Abraham Lincoln, in the height of the Civil War, finally heeded her constant pleading. And he made the fourth Thursday November, a National Day of Thanksgiving. Here's what he said. He said, I want to come, he said, we want to, all Americans to ask God to come into his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, and mourners or sufferers 
and the lamentable civil strife and to heal the wounds of the nation. So the final Thursday in November became Thanksgiving. It was officially appointed by the president and it, from starting in 1863, and it went from there on out. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. That in 1939, it stayed the fourth, the final Thursday in November from 1863 until 1939. And then 1939, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in order to try to spur the economy on the middle of the Great Depression, backed up, I didn't know this, backed up Thanksgiving week and made it the third Thursday, trying to give an extra shopping weekend there to help get America out of the Great Depression. And Americans didn't buy it. As a matter of fact, they started calling it Franksgiving instead of Thanksgiving. I love America. And um, it didn't work. People didn't do it. And... Um, Two years later, 1941, he signed into act a bill by Congress that made officially the final Thursday of November Thanksgiving. Sarah, Sarah won. She was able to finally get, long after her death, Sarah Joseph Hale was able to get Thanksgiving Day perpetually on the calendar generation after generation after generation she wanted a nation to stop and say thank you to God from whom all blessings flow generation after generation after generation that's how you tell God thank you is we just don't tell God thank you today but we pass it along the offer to others of the salvation and goodness of the God we serve. Tell some, when was the last time you told somebody how glad you are you're saved? When was the last time you invited someone to church, legitimately invited somebody to church and asked them to be here? At the very least, we keep our own families in church and pass the gospel on from generation to generation. That's how you tell God thank you. Would you stand with me across the building? Hang on online. Don't go anywhere, Rossville. How do you tell God thank you? Be glad you're saved. Be excited you get to serve and worship Him. Know everything comes from Him and stop counting your burdens and start counting your blessings and tell others about the offer. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes no matter where you are? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask you, if you're a Christian this morning, would you start right now? Some of you have so many burdens in your life. It is, it is weighty. And I, would you start right now and just ask God, God, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me to reprogram myself. I've got all these burdens and it's all I see. And help me to start counting the blessings that are around me. Others of you just need to start right now and say, God, help me to see beyond my problems. That's all I do is count my burdens. And God, help me count my blessings. And would you, if you're a Christian, just start right now and just start praying. Can you spend two, three minutes in prayer? I'll conclude us in a moment. But as a believer, would you just spend some time thanking God, counting your blessings? Hey, if you're not a Christian, no matter where you are, would you look this way? If you're not a Christian, would you look this way? Because everybody who's praying right now, whose head are bowed, I'll tell you where they started. Every one of them started with this. Thank you, Lord, for saving if you're here today and you're not a Christian, listen, God has orchestrated your life to bring you here right now, right now. Whether you're watching, whether you're at another campus, whether you're here, God's orchestrated your life for this moment. And chances are you've come here today and you're worried about your eternity. 
you're worried about your sin, you're discontented with life and nothing seems to please you. Listen, we call that conviction. You'll understand that later on, that we understand God's doing a work in our life and he's brought you to this moment so you can hear what I'm going to say in the next one minute. Here it is. There's nothing that will relieve that on your soul, nothing apart from Jesus. How do you do that? It's as simple as ABC. A, you've got to admit that you cannot save yourself or earn salvation. You just can't. You can't be good enough. I couldn't be good enough to do it. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life right now to get me into heaven. I would. You have to admit that. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sin, rose again the third day, and C, you have to confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You, you can do that today. It's as simple as ABC. So I'm going to ask you, no matter where you are, if you'd like to become a Christian today, that God has divinely brought you to this moment, just so you can hear me say that, yes, you can be saved today and know that when you leave this building, Christ is in your life and heaven is your home. Because here's what salvation is going to do for you. Number one, it's going to eliminate all that shame and guilt that you carry around with you for unforgiven sin. It's going to empower you to live the right kind of life day in and day out. And it's going to make your eternity secure. So that when you die, you know you'll spend eternity in the presence of God, not away from the presence of God. We call that hell. Would you like to do that today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you'd like to be saved, pray something like this. If you know how to pray, you just pray. But if you need some help praying, you can pray something like this. Prayer's not going to save you, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus. I'll help you express it like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I can't be good enough to go to heaven. I know Christ died so I could. So I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And just now I'll ask Christ to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to save me, and to give me a home in heaven. And I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you, you meant to trust Jesus. You are born again and we want to celebrate that with you so here's all i ask you to do is take out your phone right now and send a text to the number 97,000. text the word i did no spaces i did 97,000. you can screenshot it if you're watching take a photo of it with your phone do it anytime today if you're watching this video days weeks or months from now you can do the same thing here's what we're going to do we want to celebrate with you but we're going to send you a a pamphlet in the mail that tells you the next seven things to do in the christian life because if you don't know them you're going to be confused and frustrated about the christian life so we're just going to drop something in the mail to you and tell you hey here here's here's what to do next text i did to the number ninety-seven thousand. The heads bowed, eyes closed. Our staff's going to be down at the front. We've got two tables down here that say next steps. They'll be here after the service. And if you have questions about joining our church, being baptized, or even becoming a Christian, maybe I just didn't answer a question you have, they're going to be here for about five minutes. If, hey, if you're already in, saved, and secure, a church member, uh, give them a little space. If you need to talk to one of them, give them space for about five minutes. Let other people get to them today. They'll be there right after the service. But can I talk to heads bowed, eyes closed, those of us who are saved. Let's tell God thank you this week. Let's tell him thank you by being glad we're saved, excited we can serve, recognizing he owns everything, telling others about the offer, but instead of counting our burdens, let's count our blessings this week.
And may we do it today. And may we keep doing it tomorrow. And may we do it all week. And may it become a habit that we're just blessing counters. Yeah, life's not going great. Yeah, things are going crazy. Yeah, I got issues. Look, look, my wife and I, we got all kinds of things going on in our life. If we sit down and count all our burdens, we get discouraged immediately. Because we've got to stop and count our blessings. Father, I pray you'd help us do that today, tomorrow, this week, and for the rest of our lives. You are worthy of all our praise and adoration and thankfulness. And Lord, forgive us for being bored with our salvation. Forgive us for being bored with serving you and not recognizing that everything comes from you. So Lord, help us count our blessings. Help us tell others about the offer. Let it make a difference in our lives, but may you receive it as an attitude of gratitude that's continually on our heart and on our lips. In Jesus' name we pray. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.